Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. The truth is that I'm tired. Tired of fighting every single day. I'm educated, experienced, hardworking, and smart. These qualities would more than justify a leadership position, right? In fact, I've seen many leaders with much less. My truth is, if I were anything other than a black woman, I would be a C-suite executive in my field by now. I wish I had just one story, but I don't. I have many. Detailing the stalls, detours, weight, and hurt that have been permanently mounted to my identity and that I now carry into every new experience. They can't comprehend the ways in which I need to fortify myself to go into work each day and be great at what I do. Sometimes even I can't. Wondering what type of microaggressions, unconscious bias, fragility, privilege I'll have to endure because some non-underrepresented person just doesn't get it. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Each oppressive word and behavior is like a paper cut and it's continuous. How can you heal something that's never ending? Or how can you fight it when it's coming from the person who's supposed to support and grow you? What is the subtext that leader gives us? That leadership gives us? What have we missed? And what do we choose to ignore? I've been told unimaginable things. Stuff from tales of workplace horror. One manager told me, He and his wife had never had any black friends. I wonder if he had ever admitted that to anyone else. And in what context? What exemption was he hoping for in revealing that fact? Another told me that the company I worked for at the time had no need for diversity and inclusion efforts. What did diversity and inclusion look like to them? Was it about the literal look those initiatives would bring? Who else felt that way? And then there was this director who judged my performance differently than others on the team. He consistently referred to my resilience and my executive presence when we could have talked about my accomplishments. The highest utilization rates and customer reviews in the department. When I broached it, he disregarded my concern as a personality conflict. Why was I held to a different standard than the rest of the team, even if I was doing better? Was his bias unconscious? How can something subliminal be so direct? What was conflicting about our personalities? Our opinions? Or our culture? This behavior harasses, harms, and hurts. So I hope everyone is listening and learns from this. We need to stop burying our heads in the sand as if these situations have no affect, as if they don't exist. 
While I'm tired of fighting to decode and overcome corporate America's subtext, I'm not giving up. Because I can't. We don't have that option. I'm strong, I'm resilient, and we will be victorious. Hi everyone, this is Crystal. And this is Krista. And on this week's episode, we're discussing decoding the subtext with Yokendi Valdez. Yokendi is a social entrepreneur, storyteller, and public speaker. As the co-founder and CEO of Forefront, she helps employers recruit qualified Latino college students for in-demand roles through their latest product, Carmen AI. She was named a Forbes 30 Under 30, go girl, as well as one of the Latino 30 Under 30 honorees by El Mundo, Boston. Welcome to the show, Yokendi. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I just want to say that Crystal was girl fanning over you <laughs> when she saw thank that you were okay. on the 30 Under 30 list. Oh, thank I, you. <laughs> I was, and you deserve it. I shouldn't be embarrassed, even though I am. Uh, I don't know why we do that, right? Like in secret, you you like give praise to other women. <laughs> I don't know. I should do that out loud more often. So congrats, you Kendi. That's amazing. And we're happy to have you here. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. It means a lot. So you've heard the narrative decoding the subtext. Would you say that this story is familiar to you? And why is that? Oh, my goodness. I, I felt, to be honest, numb hearing it. Um, you know, the, the narrator mentioned that being discriminated against as a woman of color is like death of a thousand paper cuts. Just like a paper cut, you want to blame yourself. Only mm. if I was more careful or if I didn't do it that way, I wouldn't be hurting right now. And you just feel helpless. Wow. And I remember every time I would, you know, approach uh, an HR person or a recruiter and in my case usually white women mm -hmm. and I felt like I was going to an ER a doctor visit not not really I, I didn't, it didn't feel like I was just going to the office mm -hmm. and I felt like I was visiting my doctor and I was about to hear a diagnosis about me and that's a really scary feeling and you kind of lose your power. And this is not how you should feel in the workplace. And that is why I'm devoting my career to changing culture at work. I'm glad you brought that up about culture and comparing your experience to going to a doctor's visit where you feel like you're being diagnosed. One of the gaps that I'm seeing in inclusion and diversity work right now and with working with underrepresented talent is that there are many times where we, and I'm going to say we because I'm, I've been part of the problem, um, that we want to fix underrepresented people for them to fit into the places where they're working. When we should really be focused, as you mentioned, on fixing the culture or fixing the soil around them rather than trying to fix them. Yeah, I, I really resonate with that, Crystal. And sometimes Crystal and I tend to butt heads on this just a bit because there's a state where we want to be and where we should be, 
but there's also some ways that we end up, unfortunately, this doesn't mean that it's right, having to adapt in order to survive now and navigate the nonsense of our current state. I loved what you said, Yul Kendi, about how, because I had never thought about this perspective, about how in the paper cut, you're blaming yourself. It feels like your own like stupid mistake. Like if you would have done something better, you wouldn't be hurting. And it is in some way your fault and you just feel helpless to it, even though it's something so small. So I really, really resonated with that part of your statement. And I know that you did a, a short stint and yeah, we're going to call it a stint <laughs> in a, in a corporate role. And then you quickly realized that you needed to transform work culture because of some of the things that we're talking about. You wanted to create better circumstances for Latinx students entering the workplace. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, why it happened and what it took you to? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that you call it a stint. Uh, well, you know, I barely made it in. Uh, and that's a travesty. Uh, you know, I was, I was 21 at the time, barely an adult, but with a lot of millennial energy, ready to take on corporate America, and the entire world. You know, I was excited. Uh, being first gen, low income from a Dominican immigrant family, my parents were counting on that paycheck right out of college. Right. And, you know, that's why I decided I wanted the big shot job in consulting, mm-hmm. uh, firm, a uh, big city. And, you know, I also love solving problems and I had a knack for strategy and innovation. So, you know, I, I really was looking forward to really kickstarting my career. And who knows, being a CEO uh, one day, uh, and, you know, I get this offer uh, at a Boston consulting firm, very prestigious. Most of the people there graduated from Ivy League schools, not too far uh, from, from where I worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was the only Latina, Afro-Latina, and maybe the only Black person in, in the office. That sounds and, familiar. Yeah, yeah. I, I bet. And, you know, I, I, I love the job as I expected. And I got to work on very exciting client projects. But slowly, I started to disconnect, right? The paper cuts started to happening. And you're right. Yeah, I, I blame myself at times because you think, oh, is it my accent? Or is it the way I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my hair or the clothes I'm wearing or the food that I bring uh, to lunchtime? Mm. You know, you, you do start to question because of the ways uh, people are interpreting your, your identity. Yeah. Uh, and so it got to the point where on July 5th, 2016, um, I, I woke up to what was supposed to be a regular morning routine. And I saw a social media notification on my Facebook. Um, and I read that another black man had been shot at the hands of the police automatically tears came down my face. I ended up laying in bed for a while, but you know, I realized I had to get up. I had to go to work, but I just continue to cry on the red line um, in the train as I read more and more news and and photos came out. Um, And I, and I got to work and I, I wanted to, to really express what I was feeling, but for everyone else, my discomfort seemed meaningless. 
Um, until a lunch, someone finally noticed that I, I was looking off and, and took me on a walk. And that small action helped a ton. However, the sadness and also maybe a little bit of anger stayed with me for many days afterwards. And the reason this had an impact on me is that, you know, I'm actually from Ferguson, Missouri. Mm. I went to uh, the school district there. Um, that's where I got to take English as a second language after immigrating from the DR at the age of 10. And I happened to be back uh, from, from college at the time in Boston when Michael Brown was shot. I was in my bedroom and my two younger brothers were downstairs playing around. It was summer vacation. And all I could think is that could have happened to them. And mm -hmm. so um, when this happened with Alton Sterling, I ended up quitting. I, I didn't take the full-time job offer in consulting as I couldn't bear that I wasn't the only one feeling this, that this was really the, beyond the paper cuts. Once you add it all up, it really does become a epidemic. And I couldn't stand that despite all that was happening in our communities, this wasn't really being dress, addressed in the culture of, of the workplace. So I ended up deciding to build Forefront, a startup full-time right after I graduated from college. And we're really dedicated to increasing the representation of Latinos in the workplace. And luckily, you know, even though I didn't have the big paycheck right after college, my, I have the support of family and friends. And now we're three years in trying to make our, our vision uh, come true. That was such a powerful story. I literally had chills as you were talking about growing up in Ferguson, Missouri and how your family was there, that could have been them. And those are things that I think even most of us as black and brown people that we don't necessarily, we, we take for granted that we don't necessarily know people who these things are happening to. So it's not as close to us as it would be if it was a situation like yours. And although this is totally off topic, we all know that coronavirus is the hot topic right now. It's something that's happening to us that's really relegated all of us to our houses. And probably earlier this week, I thought about it and I'm like, I like being at home. It's okay. Like everything will get better. Like we'll be able to leave our home soon. I'm not really missing anything. It's just the thought process that I had. Until yesterday, when one of my friends who I met when I lived in Michigan died from coronavirus. And at that point, it felt so real to me. And I really felt your story when I think back to that and how it really just brings you back down to reality. If you weren't thinking about it before, now you're thinking about it because it's so close to you. I really, really connected, Yolkindi, especially with what you were saying about how you went into the workforce and you had all this energy and you had all this excitement 
but then you realize that you were the only Latina in your space. So actually, I didn't realize it, but our stories are really similar. And I think that's what Crystal's comment was earlier about like sounds familiar. Uh, Just like you, like fresh out of grad school, I went, I started at a company uh, that was consulting to, ironically enough, culture consulting. And I noticed quickly that I was the only person of color in the entire company. And I found myself being really self-aware of how other I was being made to feel. So like if they dressed in casual clothes, it was okay. But when I dressed in casual clothes, it felt different and I got different reactions or like if they brought food from home and it was one thing and I brought food from home, it was different. And I never wanted it to be, but I, I remember because you mentioned like you had these little small actions or you had this small action that kind of really helped you. I wish if I would have just had one of those, Because in that experience, to your point earlier, all of the paper cuts were building and I didn't even know what was happening. I wasn't even paying attention to them because I was so excited. And just like you, I love solving problems and I had a knack for strategy and innovation or so I thought. But like you said, they weren't interested in growing me. They were only interested in how quickly I could become what they needed me to be and who they wanted me to be as quickly as they needed it. And I'm so empowered by your story and how you, you ended up quitting and and building this entire organization that's meant to help people like me. So that makes me really proud. Hashtag assimilation. Yeah. Hmm. We'll be talking about that in the upcoming month. Very real. (sighs) No, you know, that that's really some really great points. I appreciate the conversation and, you know, when you think about this, the reason culture is, is so hard because often behavioral change doesn't happen until people really see it. And, and that's, that's really true. That's why there's a joke uh, in Silicon Valley that a tech CEO doesn't start caring about gender equality until they have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Right now, we can't wait till uh, everybody has, has babies uh, to, to see what the, the impact is for the next generation, but now you have really huge external forces like coronavirus that are making the world really, really close and you cannot longer really avoid the, the connection and the interaction we have as people, not only in the US, but across the world. And um, um, that's just unfortunate. Uh, hopefully we don't have to keep waiting uh, for reality to hit, to be able to do the right thing, not the only the right thing morally, uh, but, but for business. And, you know, at the beginning of my work, I started to focus on, on culture a lot, um, but it can be very, very hard. It's hard to measure. And what, what we realized is that we're a long way from really building the, the equitable workplaces that we want to see And that's why we began to attack it uh, from the recruiting angle and making sure uh, companies are bringing in uh, more diverse pipelines of underrepresented workers into the organization because uh, with new new perspective uh, is going to spark 
new opportunities for, uh, for, for change and innovation. That said, can you tell us a little bit more about Forefront and how you're making those things happen? Yeah, uh, Forefront is a tech startup looking to help employers hire qualified talent from underrepresented communities for in-demand roles. Last month, uh, we launched our first uh, product called Carmen AI. Before then, we were just uh, a consulting company doing the culture work I referred to. And, but with Carmen, uh, Carmen is a chatbot, like the one you used when talking to your bank's customer service. Uh, but we say it's way cooler because she helps Latino college students gain skills and find jobs. Uh, you can think of Carmen as a personal career assistant that is there with you through the job search from helping with your resume to mock interviews. Uh, you know, there, there are many recruitment products out there, but what makes Carmen different is personalization and cultural responsiveness. You know, we see a lot of artificial intelligence out there that has been used to mitigate bias, but it's usually hiding people's real identity. Mm -hmm. And Carmen, you know, we don't want to hide people's names or blur their identities. We want to put them at the forefront because their true difference is what's going to make uh, the company culture great. And um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of research that says authenticity is what drives engagement, productivity, and true equity and inclusion. So we're excited to really um, uh, be able to deliver Carmen to thousands of college students uh, nationwide. I see what you did there, putting the talent at the forefront. I love that. <laughs> I love that. What is that the tagline? Yeah, you know, I think with, with us, our company name, Forefront, um, oftentimes uh, communities of color are, are silence put in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's usually to end up in, in a photograph um, and to end up She should call somebody out. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think for us, when building this company, we said, you know, we were going to put truth to power and it's about finally bringing to identi our identities to, to the forefront because right now uh, there's no other option. By 2060, as we know, this will be a majority minority nation. So it's time that, that our voices are heard. We are with you. My fist yeah. is up. <laughs> I do that often <laughs> in these episodes. <laughs> um. Yo, Kendi, throughout the month, we pose a hashtag me moments question, and we'd love to kind of hear your take on with all the work that you've done and all the experiences that you've had and being treated differently and dealing with these paper cuts, it gets to a certain degree where it starts to impact the way you see yourself. What does that impact look, for you, look like for you and, and how do you kind of react to it? You know, it wasn't always like this, um, but now that I, that is ingraining me, you know, the many paper cuts, the many microaggressions being other that I experience, uh, now I turn it into a strength. You know, it's, it's my magic uh, potion and my friends will laugh at me, uh, but, but it's true. You know, I, uh, 
I now usually own every room I'm in and, and take power, especially with my name. So uh, my name is Yulkendi Dalene Valdez Valdez and Mozo Ortiz. And I say that loud and clear, you know, I'm Yulkendi Valdez and um, I'm confident and I use my voice whenever I can without permission. And whenever, you know, I'm nervous or walk into the room where I know I'm the only one, I just say that name loud and proud and, and, and the rest is history. I'm going to start doing that. Like there was this, um, this, what was it, Krista? It was like this psychologist who said when you stand like a superhero or your power pose, then um, you can actually be more confident in the room. But I'm going to start saying my name, girl. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's probably why when you see me on calls or like facilitating, I'm like smiling like a fool. And it's really just to like try and give myself as much positive energy regardless of whatever I'm receiving in return. So I think that's a really amazing thing that you do, you Kendi. Yeah, no, I, I do both. I, I do the power posing, the name, um, some some salsa dancing right before you got to go. <laughs> as long as you're you feel confident in your identity, you know um, when you're able to deliver better. Uh, it just sucks that right now that's not a norm. You know, three out of four Latinos repress their identities uh, even before they get. Uh, to 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 their jobs throughout the entire job search process, mm. uh, and, and it sucks. You know, you should be able to listen to your reggaeton on the way of the office if you wanted to, um, and then be able to bring um, your your enchiladas, your tacos, whatever it is, um, mm-hmm. because small things add to a bigger part of you, um, and they're important. Exactly, we should always bring our best selves to work every single day. And I don't want to speak for you, Krista. However, I want to say, yo, Kendi, I loved having this conversation with you today. And I'm pretty sure that our listeners want to know where they can find you online, where they can learn more about Forefront and learn more about Carmen AI. Yes. No, thank you so much again for inviting me. Uh, First, I would love it if y'all watch my TEDx talk, which goes over uh, research my organization has done on women of color in tech. So it will give us a deeper dive into how microaggressions in particular affect women of color. So make sure you search why women of color are the future of tech. It's, uh, it was at TEDx Albany, and you should be able to find it right next to my name. And also, just for more information on Carmen AI and the work that Forefront does, go to www.getforefront.co, and you will also find links to our social media there. I think I'm fangirling now. <laughs> Do you get that a lot, Yul Kendi? Do you get all the fame everywhere you go? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's humbling, but I throw the love right back. I, the only reason I get to do this work is because I'm inspiring women and leaders such as yourself. So uh, it's mutual. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. 
talk to you next week.